Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Generation On Air. My name is Alex Bullimore and as usual, there is plenty to cover. Uh, this week, I don't know if anyone noticed this, but there was a review in the Times, not about our podcast, but about a new politics podcast from three quite well-known journalists. Uh, in the review, it was said that you don't need money to do a good podcast. You just need interesting people. Well, you listeners, feel free to decide if the following two gents are, in fact, interesting people. So welcome to Dan Lambert and Ben Summer. I don't think I'm interesting. Sorry <laughs> in advance. Yeah, yeah. The, the, guy, the guys can, the listeners can make up their minds on me. Well, uh, we certainly don't have any money. So, you know, hopefully we have at least some interesting people on this podcast from time to time. Probably the guests, isn't it, from other podcasts? in more rea- in reality um like i said plenty to cover from swansea all the way to Millwall uh next tuesday we also have tom bradshaw from the and he takes that chance pod to very kindly give us some insight into huddersfield ahead of our game with them on saturday but first uh ben as our generation's wales wales correspondent you went to swansea away and i believe saw the opposite of yourself if you know what i'm talking about I don't know what you're talking about. Was it the QPR fan with Winter on the back of his shirt? Oh, yeah, Winter. Um, my name is Ben Summer, and I saw Winter with his QPR shirt, and he's my nemesis now. We can um, only assume as well that his name is Ben. I, do you know what? In my head, it is. Yeah. Like, I didn't, even, be, not, I didn't even think twice. Yeah. If he's out there, if he's listening, say hello to me. I did once, this is a tangent, I played a game with my housemates where we searched up people with our names on Instagram, and there was a Ben Summer uh, who supported Brentford. So... That's another alter ego there. Uh, so in future pods, when you know there's less things happening, one finds the QPR fans' surname Winter. Assume yeah. we'll try and find the QPR fans with surnames Autumn and Spring as well. Yeah. Um, possibly, probably slim chance of actually inviting a Brentford fan on. Um, but you know if there is like we, really, nothing, yeah, we would be to be honest. Um, but if there's really nothing going on, maybe we'd do it then. But there's like a, there, there'll be a full list of things that we do before the Brentford fan comes on. Anyway, we are very, you know, we've only just started the podcast, but we've gone off on a tangent already. There was a I game. Thought, yeah. Ben went to said game. Um, team news, there is none, apart from the fact that we were unchanged. I guess uh, the new signing, Tim Rogenbaum, made it onto the bench. But overall, Ben, was this disappointing, poor, a missed opportunity or a bit of all of the above? I'd say all, the, all of the above. In terms of missed opportunity, I I don't know quite enough about Swansea to say. But I mean, you know, it was a it was a relatively even game in which Swansea were better. Not a lot of chances created on either side. Not a lot of creativity, certainly from our viewpoint. Um, Swansea locking us with quite a few good kind of hooked balls over the top um you know getting called offside a few times but you do it enough and you do it well enough you will end up getting a decent one ultimately their goal comes from a mistake from us and from Joel Pirro being clinical which I'm pretty sure from what I've seen of him he is um but it was a fairly miserable day out fairly rainy one of those ones where the home fans start getting nice and noisy towards the end of the game because obviously they're having a great time and you're kind of just stood there going what am I doing um, only glad that I only had to go back to Cardiff after rather than London, so I think that would have been a fairly grim journey. 
Dan, uh, for those of us that weren't at the game, it certainly sounds like a good one to miss, doesn't it? Yeah, I'd say so. I'd agree with what Ben said. Um, I thought the ironic thing from that game, um, you know, Swansea are known for being quite a, a good side in, in possession, um, particularly having a lot of the ball. But I thought it was what they did out of possession. I think they nullified us to, what, 0.46 XG all game, which was the worst in the divisional weekend. So I think I think that's where they get a lot of the credit for, for kind of preventing Cher and Willock from getting on the ball a lot of the time. Yeah, and you mentioned there the fact that they they're used to having a lot of possession, and you mentioned the fact they're good in possession. I think you you look at what they've done so far this season. It's you know they have a style of play, but it's not necessarily working for them. Um, and whilst you know to some people it being, I I am probably of the opinion that that's more of the football that I would like to see rather than seeing sort of Tony Pulis, you know hoof the ball up the pitch, but it's sort of like at the same time, that sort of football, if it's not actually going anywhere, can be quite repetitive, boring and just as bad in certain cases. And that seems to have been what happened with Swansea so far this season. And it's noticeable. I think they only had 45% of the ball, you know, throughout the game. So there's obviously a clear, uh, you know, change in the way they've at least gone about it in this game. Yeah, I think it's I think it's um it's worth noting. I think the last three games they've gone from playing a back three system to playing more of a four two three one. Hence, why they played a four four two out possession, uh, which is kind of why they nullified us in that sense. Um, but yeah, I, I did see hear a um a stat saying that I think the last two games they've had less op- uh, less possession than the opposition have, um, which is quite interesting. Yeah, uh, let's talk about the bit of controversy. I know there's possibly other moments from the game, but the one that's on the highlights reel, at least, is the penalty, Ben. Uh, what a moment of nonsense this is. Yeah, in the moment, I thought it was a pen, obviously, with sort of behind the goal. I, it's it's a marginal one, I've got to admit. It's it's not one I'm furious about in the... Well, first of all, I mean, obviously... Then he saves it, and then it's the sort of most incredible moment, and everyone's chanting and singing, and it's brilliant. But also, it's sort of with the benefit of hindsight, it was like we're going to lose that game one nil, pretty much any day of the week, whether we lose it to a penalty, whether we lose it to well the goal that we did lose it to. Like it's you know you see a lot of refereeing like that at this level, but I guess just circumstance means it's not one that uh, winds me up in the same way. I think the ref has a pretty good view of it though, doesn't he? And it's kind of. I guess, you know, if he makes the split decision in the moment and just sort of goes, yeah, penalty, you can kind of sort of think you can make excuses for him in the sense that he hasn't thought about it or, you know, he's just sort of gone very quickly, perhaps on a reaction. But he had a lot of time to think about it and or communicate with other officials that are on the pitch. And he comes to this decision sort of, and it, it isn't probably that long after the incident's happened, but when you watch it, it feels like an age between Dunn sort of having the ball cannon off his chest and Senny collecting the ball in the gut, um, not in the back of the net, which is the wrong thing to say, before Senny collects the ball. Um, and he's standing there and all of a sudden it's a penalty and you kind of wonder what on earth. You know, I think the first thing would be if you're in a stadium, at the, you see it in the reactions of the players, they don't quite know what it's been given for. Sort of like, it's all quite, that's what the problem is for me. The fact that he took so long 
and then went with that decision. Yeah, I mean, I'm just watching it back now and it sort of reminded me of in the moment, like, I remember seeing the ball flash across and um, who does it come off? Sorry, actually, I hadn't even seen which player it was. Whichever player is standing there uh, looks like... It's done uh, the chest. It hits his chest. Yeah, he's facing away from the goal, so he's facing away from us. And in the moment, I thought, that ball's bounced up and hit him on the arm. Ref's going to bring it back. And so when he did, I wasn't surprised. And I sort of also kind of get... The, the ref will have in his mind at that point, I'm giving a pen for this. And all he's thinking about is, is the has the advantage been fully played or not? So I get that he doesn't have that time then to actually go back and go, was that pen, wasn't it? Because I, I guess he's already made that call. Um, but yeah, it's about that it, it sort of bounces up and it, it kind of hits him at a funny angle, but it doesn't look like the same level of kind of deliberate handball that maybe we thought it might have been. But the, the away end was, I would say, 50-50 on it, um, mm. like in the moment. Um but yeah, it's not, you know, uh, I, I, I find it relatively difficult to get as angry about that as I have about certain Keith Stroud performances and certain other <laughs> refereeing performances I've seen go against QPR in recent times because it was not a game we ever really looked like taking much from. Yeah. Uh, Dan, you love a bit of referee chat, don't you? Um <laughs> What's your uh, opinion on the matter? Um, I don't think it was a penalty. Um, I think the lead up to it, I think it was Dickie played it to Field and then Field lost, um, kind of played the back pass uh, back. It was all a bit rash for me. Um, and I don't think Jimmy Dunn particularly controlled it as well as he probably could have. I think that's what Bill said in the interview after the game. But yeah, it was like you say, the referee, I don't know why he took so long to, to make the decision. Um, I was more more annoyed about the uh, the Willock one, which I'm sure we'll go on to. Um, but yeah, the the, the refereeing at this level is bad enough as we as we know week in week out. We'll touch on the Willock one now then, because I kind of did forget about it. I saw it on Twitter, and I you know some fans were quite sort of irate about it. And I don't know, maybe this is um, this is, well, it's just my opinion of it all. But I kind of similar to what. Ben's sort of feeling towards that penalty incident. I kind of, I know he's got a, a fist of his shirt, but I kind of don't, to a certain extent, don't see where the foul is. Like, it's not like, it, it, it kind of sounds silly because it, obviously he is sort of blocking him off, but it's a, it is a bit of a, a moment where they've both got a fist of each other's shirts, haven't they, Dan? No, I, I don't agree. I, I think, I think he's clearly pulled it. Um, Willock shouldn't need to go down to, to have to kind of make the decision what Cabango's last man. Um, mm. I, I don't know. I, I haven't seen it again since watching watching it live. But for me, it was a it was a clear red red card, and um, that changes the that changes the context of the game after the first minute. Um, but yeah, like I said a minute ago, it don't really surprise me. It's not been given. Ben, can you uh, remember back to the game in this instance? I'm afraid I literally can't. <laughs> I was thinking that when you mentioned it, I have absolutely no recollection of that moment or that decision. And maybe that's poor research for the podcast on my part, but it was not one that massively registered for me at the time, um, is all I can say. I just remember seeing it on Twitter a couple, like the day after and having trying to search for it now, Willock Fowl just comes up with VAR stuff from the Newcastle game. So uh, no point looking any further into that. Um, but, you know, I kind of, it's a 
maybe maybe I'm just wrong on this. And like you said, I, I tend to agree with what Dan says there. You don't have to go down. And I kind of do despise it when players dive on the floor to sort of make that make it obvious that they're being fouled. But that you know, then again, there is the argument that if you're not actually brought to the ground, like then it's obviously not a foul enough to bring you to the ground and you shouldn't be diving on the floor anyway to do that and to highlight the point to the referee. I think my first thoughts when I saw it was that it wasn't as bad perhaps as people were suggesting and there's a lot of anger from the sort of penalty decision. And I thought that Willock does in fact get around him uh, eventually. But, you know, if people think it's a red card, I've got no problem with that. Um, And, you know, probably won't be the last... um, refereeing decision that we have to endlessly talk about on this podcast this season let's talk about the goal then instead um watching the highlights i kind of you know from three players here i'm not entirely delighted with what i see um ben do you want to sort of lead off on this yeah i mean it was an example of a lot of very slightly sloppy play that we um that we sort of showed throughout the day. And, and Dan's the guy who's got the brain for sort of explaining why this was, but it felt pretty much the whole game. Like uh, like Dunn and Dickey never had a particularly easy pass to make uh, when they had the ball, never looked completely confident in controlling and keeping the ball when it sort of came in towards them. Um, obviously, it's Field that makes the, the error in the end as well. But Swansea penned us in, you know, um, as, much as, it was, as much as it was an issue in attack. Uh, where it never quite looked like there was a, a pass for Dizel or uh, Johansson to make. And it, it never, yeah, you know, there was a lot of passing between the back line and so on. Um, I think that also showed when we came under a little bit of pressure that there were, you know, not really any kind of easy decisions to be made. And, and, and Swansea were sort of frustrating in that sense without being a massively attacking team for all of the game. And then Joel Perot is going to do that if, if you're in that situation, I suppose. Dan, do you want to follow up on that? Yeah, I'm just looking at the goal now. Um, I mean, it's a, definitely a poor miss. It's a missed uh, judgment from Dicky in the sense that the ball—it's like a channel ball comes down. He doesn't really know whether to to kind of control it or or get rid. But uh, Sam Phil for me has to be doing better with the uh, the, the chest, bringing it down on his chest. Um, but like Ben said, the centre backs didn't really have a great game all all after, all afternoon. Um, but no, it was just a it was a poor mistake to make. And then when they go, when we saw in the early stages, when you go one 0 down against this Swansea side that were that were decent now possession, uh, it's going to be hard to break them down anyway. Yeah, I thought that, like you said, Dicky kind of really should just probably clear it. But if Field controls the ball okay, this whole situation probably goes away without much consequence. Um, and that's kind of what. I guess it all comes down to field miscontrolling the ball and really should be doing better. And it's really disappointing um, because it just sort of gifts it to them. You can kind of be behind in the game, obviously. And perhaps like, you know, Ben was saying that we would probably destined to go on and lose that game at some point, but you know, you've got to make it difficult at least when you're not playing to the best of your ability. And if you come away from that at nil, nil, then all of a sudden, that nil-nil is a great result. Um, so, and I, you know, maybe I'd have to see it from the other angle, but first instinct as well is that I thought that Senny kind of gets beaten a little bit easily at his near post. There's a, he's obviously showing him quite a lot of the goal on the other side. 
and he manages to score in the section of the goal, which is less on offer. Like I said, I'd like to see the sort of angle straight down the middle of the pitch and see how much of the goal Senny sort of showed. But from the angle side on, it looked like he didn't really throw too much of himself at it. So, you know, delighted that Senny's actually saved the penalty this week, but I wasn't too uh, happy with that either. But throughout the game, was there any sort of positives to report back, apart from perhaps the debut of Tim Rogerman? And I, debut was I, a, yeah, deb, I'm not trying the name. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I realised that I just sort of went above and on, which isn't really. I, like, I will, I will go away and find out how to pronounce his surname because I think we should do him the justice of it. But absolutely, uh, his his debut was good. Um, snapped into a few tackles and uh, sort of got about the pitch fairly well. It is fairly clear that he'll be covering that kind of Sam Field role. I think what was notable is that he came on and looked a little more awake, a little more alert than basically all of our starting midfield. And I'm never, never, ever one to really have a go at players. I just think they probably retired off the midweek and, and maybe there's some selection questions there, but I was absolutely happy with the 11 when he named it. So I can't be hypocritical on that front. There were some positive moments. Like I'm going to contradict myself here. As much as I said, we never really deserved to win the game. Talk about the sort of Warburton fine margins thing. There's a ball that flashes across goal very late on. There's a moment where Tyler Roberts finds himself right in front of the goal and gets it slightly tangled up under his feet. They completely changed the complexion of it. If we had equalised, if we had scored a winner at any point, all of it would have been undeserved. It was not a great game. But there were little positive moments here and there. But I, I would say really after the Swansea goal, um, the mood in the away end had gone pretty sour. Um, it yeah, just there was there was there was not a lot of optimism, and this is something I kind of touched on in the um column in the in the program this week. But I'm not drawing any massive conclusions there. I don't I don't think it means we're a bad team or that we're going to have these sort of performances all the time. Um, McBeal is an incredibly new manager. Um, in terms of being a first team manager, um, and you can see in his interviews like he's he's learning as the players are, and I think maybe this game serves as a lesson. You can't go three games in a row with the same eleven um, if you've got a midweek game. Absolutely, I think, yeah, the, the the especially the midfield in this this way of playing, we were so the way we played against Hull and Watford was very intense. You know, quite high energy that high line and all that sort of stuff. And you know, at the start of the game, <clears throat> I don't think any of us would have said with the players that are available right now, um, yeah, let's make a change to sort of freshen it up. We've went and beat Watford away from home and we absolutely thrashed Hull in the first half at home. You know, there was no reason, apart from perhaps tiredness, to be changing that 11. If, obviously, um, Amos and Richards is available, then maybe that is different and you can kind of look at it and think, okay, Amos's energy away from home as well would be really useful. Just rotate your Hansen and whatnot and, and Dazelle. Um, but you know, I can't imagine you'd have found many people prior to the game that would have been disappointed with seeing an unchanged eleven. Um, but you know, Bill has taken blame himself, which you know, I'm not really fussed about. To be honest, I keep on saying this. I don't really care what he says pre and post match, as long as we start winning games on the pitch that's all that really matters to me um but he did say that we were kind of slow getting started and puts a lot of it down to tiredness dan how important is the fatigue levels on this result and going forward throughout the season 
are we going to have to be rotating the squad quite frequently if we are going to keep on playing to this sort of energy? Yeah, I think I think the fatigue definitely plays a part, especially in a three-game week when we haven't changed the team uh, across the three games. And I think that's probably something that we haven't done in a long, long time. But I think I think the whole when he says like, oh, the high energy, high press, I, I get that to an extent, but we're not we're not a purely pressing side. Um, sure, the midfielders do a lot of the legwork, but a lot of them just jump based on the triggers that we're asked to do. Um, the strikers, they just have to stay high um, when we when we are in transition moments. So I think I think a lot of weight does get put on this high energy, high pressing side. I think a lot of it is to do with that high line, um, and we've seen across the three games how much that that's caused us in terms of uh, running. Um, so yeah, I I think fatigue played a part, and but I also don't think that this high energy attacking football is is purely was 100% right in my opinion is there any other things from the game that you guys sort of picked up that was good or frustrating or anything i, th- I think i think good um i think dicky was very good in possession uh highlight a few examples in a piece i did um that he just he steps up into the midfield and breaks the line so easy um particularly in a game where uh, Willock and Chair were quite isolated behind their uh, midfield two, um, and in terms of in terms of the weakness, it's basically that that high line it just doesn't suit, particularly Jimmy Dunn. Um, I'm not going to go over it too much because I've said it before, but um, when you're in a game that requires proactive defending against the high line and so, uh, need someone to build up against the set structure, he gives us a lot more problems than uh, positives for me. Yeah. Oh, Alex, you're on mute there. Yeah, I just realised that. Any other takeaways, Ben? Um, no, I mean, like really reiterating that point on the midfield and, again, not to dig out individual players. I think Andre Giselle's played pretty well recently, but I thought the sort of performance that he put in was quite a good advert for what Luke Amos does in terms of a little bit more running, a little bit more carrying the ball. Um, I Don't get me wrong, Giselle runs, but but not, not on the ball as much from what I've seen is my kind of point there, I suppose. Um Honestly, the takeaway is that there are not many takeaways for me. Um, it was not a game in which we were desperately awful. Um, it was also interestingly compared to say the Warburton games against um against Martins Swansea. Um, not a game that's looked as as sort of open. Maybe uh, obviously with Warburton, it would always be the case that when we played other sort of possession based, fairly attacking sides, it was this kind of slightly end to end affair and didn't feel like that. Which was an interesting preview of the sort of team we might be under Beal, but. Uh, I'm I'm much more interested to see how Saturday goes with uh, some fresh legs than I was to see how things went last Saturday. You see what I mean? Perfect. So uh, now that you've mentioned this weekend, we'll move on to Huddersfield. And for this part of the pod, we've got Tom from And He Takes That Chance pod to give us a lowdown on Huddersfield prior to Saturday's game. Uh, so here's me speaking to him earlier. Okay, so now I'm joined by Tom Bradshaw, uh, who's going to give us some fantastic insight into Huddersfield and how they're shaping up at the start of the season. So, Tom, thank you for coming on. How are you? All right, mate. Yeah, I'm not too bad, um, given uh, 
the start that Town have had this year. It's um, been quite a contrast to last season. So, you know, that's football though, and uh, that's the way it is at the moment for us. Um, but yeah, how are you doing? You all right? Yeah, all good. I think we're kind of at a... Well, I think we're slightly more optimistic than we were at the start. Well, I am at least uh, going into next couple of games. Um, your squad then post transfer window, how's that sort of shaping up? Is there any business that you've missed out on, or anything, or you're happy with everything uh, now the window shut? Do you, we we went through this uh, last week on the pod, and we we kind of all were in the seven out of ten mark because we actually think we've done pretty decent business we've brought in some decent players um the thing with Huddersfield is they're a selling club so the players that we're bringing in are always coming in with the prospect of going on to them make us money uh obviously Lewis O'Brien is a massive loss and I'm sure you will notice that on Saturday um we haven't replaced him particularly we brought this David Kasumu in from MK Dons who Came on for 20 minutes against Burnley, looked really good, got stuck in. But um, the one thing MK Dons fans said was that he's injury prone and he hasn't played since Burnley, which has been a, a massive shame because I kind of think that's what he was coming in to do. The kind of Lewis O'Brien scrappy stuff, taking pushing us forward. Um, Jack Rudone is really good signing from Wimbledon. Um, he, lo- he looks sharp. He looks like something that we did last season was goals from anywhere else on the pitch. Um, and that was one thing that Lewis O'Brien struggled with was the the kind of creative side of everything else. He he took us up the pitch really far and then it was from there, it, it, you lost it a bit. But this lad looks pretty decent. Uh, Helic coming in on transfer deadline day, centre-back from Barnsley, I think, is something we've missed. Um Matty Pearson's out injured at the moment, so we haven't really got the height in there and strength. So uh, it's been a bit shaky at the back this year. It's, it is really interesting what's going on. Um, but I, I think the squad's looking good. But the one one thing we have we were saying on our pod that we might have made a mistake is letting uh, Scott High, one of our centre midfielders, go on loan to Rotherham this season. Because especially with Kasumu's fitness, um, we're a bit... That's that's where we're struggling at the moment in the middle, basically, um, which says a lot in games, doesn't it? You you win and lose games in that part of the field, so it's uh, not a good sign for us. Yeah, I mean we've um, recruited in that area quite heavily recently, and you know we went and signed someone on deadline day that wasn't quite sure how he was going to fit in necessarily because we've got so many players, but um, I think it's kind of become a little bit clearer after the weekend's game. Um, a pretty disappointing start of the season then for you guys, considering where you ended up last year. Um, how much of this form do you put down to the loss of the previous manager? Like you said, the key, a few key players going as well. I mean, Harry mm-hmm. Toffolo is one that will be quite familiar to QPR fans as well. So do you, is that the main reason or is there anything else that you'd put it down to? I, I it's a It's a combination of it all. We've lost... A spine of players. So Levi Colwell uh, has gone to. Uh, he was on loan anywhere, um, and it was always going to be a big ask for him to come back down to the championship because he was different quality for. I think it was eighteen last season, nineteen, different quality for that kind of age. Um, and then you've lost O'Brien, 
Toffolo out on the left. It's just you've lo- you lost three really big players. And then it's even players like Nabi Sar who didn't play much, but he, he was one of the characters you could tell around the team. Um, and I think that's another regret potentially the 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 team might have is getting rid of him. Town might have. Um and then Carl Brown ditching us with whatever what it was, three or two weeks till the season started is obviously not gonna help. Mm. And I've Danny Schofield's a Huddersfield legend, but it's it's not it's it's not nice to see, do you know what I mean? Because it's everyone wants him to do well, but he has been thrown into the deep end. And I, I kind of think he's been dealt one of the worst hands in a long time for a, a town manager coming in, um, especially at the start of the season, depleted, injured squad, got rid of your best players. Yeah, um, it's a it's a culmination of things. Maybe there was a bit of a hangover from the way we lost that uh, playoff final as well, feeling kind of so hard done by by it. Mm. Um, and but it's I think that it's just the championship all over. You've got to take your chance when you get it because one season you can be having a blinding year, and then the next year you're down fighting at the bottom. So yeah, yeah. I mean it's kind of. Um... As as we all know in the championship, you kind of you can play as well as you can, but then you're also sort of uh, hampered by poor refereeing most of the time, aren't you? So, <laughs> yeah, uh, something that you'll probably know more than most. Um, touch a little bit more on the on Corbrand. What what was the main reasons for him actually sort of pack it in so close to the end start of the season? Just yeah, so the, there wasn't really a a out and out. I mean, Dean Isle came out on the radio and discussed it, and um, it was more along the lines of, I, I believe, Corbran saying that he didn't feel he could take town any further than he has almost that kind of classic line. Uh, the people say it's down to the investment, but the thing with getting the job as Huddersfield manager, I think he knew that. He knew that that's the type of team we are when we're not blessed with kind of a rich owner who's going to splash money around the kind of players that you're bringing in. We're not going to be able to keep, we were never going to keep O'Brien. Everyone knew that everyone was resigned to that at the end of the season. If we, even if we went up, I think people thought he could potentially get a move to another a Prem team. Um, So I think maybe Carbrand did just think, I don't think he thought maybe he got lucky last year, but do you know what I mean? I, I think he thought it was going to be a big struggle this year, not having O'Brien, Toffler, mm. etc. still there. Um, it was a massive shame, and I think he's come out worse, personally, for me. Just to go the way he did like that at that, at that time of the season is is really disappointing. Um, if he knew he wasn't... Because he, he'll have known at the end of the year that... If we didn't go up, we weren't going to keep certain players. So it would have been nice if he'd have done the right thing then and we might have had a bit of time to either find someone else mm. um, or really get Schofield bedded in. I think the reason they kept Schofield as well was because he'd been part of Corbrand's backroom staff and it was kind of, I think they hoped that the momentum would keep up and the same style of play, etc., would have been kept. But that hasn't really been the case so far. Yeah, um, I guess it's a bit harsh on you guys, isn't it? Looking at sort of, obviously, by no means you guys, the club's comparable in sort of the way you are run, but sort of like you look at the way that Rooney left Derby, 
there's there's a way to do things, isn't there? He's sort of yeah. he made a good effort, and he's not really. I mean, he's gone on to the MLS now, but he's not he's not lost any sort of respect for that. But then I don't know. Corbrand moves on to Olympiacos. I don't. Mm. You don't you don't know what's quite. Sometimes the worst you thing, Alex, ruthless, don't you? Like, yeah, the worst thing, Alex, is that he's gone to another team owned by that guy who owns Forest, and that is just—it's really rubbing the salt in the wounds. That <laughs> yeah. two signings, as well. two best players, yeah. <laughs> and then Peeper, who was a left back, even at Olympiacos uh, this season as well. So it's like, yeah, it's just—it just feels like that chairman's got a, a really uh, just hates Huddersfield Town, basically. <laughs> yeah, well, let, let's hope that sort of uh, bad luck comes to an end at some point. Uh, considering the fact that we don't actually win away at Forest, I don't. I'm not sure if I'm happy or sad that they're out of the league, to be honest. <laughs> um, yes. Um, Danny Schofield, then, uh, you mentioned him a few times already. Bit obviously, like you said, a legend for the amount of times he's played for you. And he was caretaker manager for a bit as well, wasn't he? Um, mm. A few stints there. So, how is he kind of faring then? What is he? You said it's, it sounds like a pretty difficult job to start with, anyway. Yeah. Um, I think he's it's kind of the square pegs round holes scenario. I think he's trying to do something with a team of players that can't do what he wants to do. Um the midfield being the main problem at the moment. Uh and I look Corberan got the time. I wonder if Danny will get it. I there's the the lucky thing Corbin had was he his terrible run. Well, it was something horrible. Like we didn't win for twenty odd games or something that that season. Luckily, he had an all right start to the year, which kept us up. Um, but he uh, he had it during COVID, so he didn't have the fans. The fans weren't as weren't as toxic. I don't think the mm. start is starting to creep in a little bit, which is really sad. And I just kind of hope maybe Danny figures out that as a core brand took the time to hopefully Schofield can figure it out quicker that you don't have to stick to that philosophy of your formation that you want. When, when core brand changed it, it was the best thing he did. So I don't know, maybe there's a chance for him, but it's a, it's a lot to ask, isn't it? Um, yeah. I personally think he's got a couple of games, maybe. Uh, up until we've got two home games, Cardiff and oh, I forgot who else it is, but I think if he doesn't at least get four points from like that, then he's in big trouble. Mm, okay, so it doesn't look so by the sounds of it, it's not sort of like there's no sort is there signs there that he could potentially, you know, turn out to be a decent coach or manager, or is it kind of wishful thinking? Mm, I think it's a bit of wishful thinking. I think I'm still blinded by the fact it's Danny Schofield. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I, it just doesn't look like there's no coherence. I don't. I think Corbrand leaving really shocked the players. So I think there's still a bit of disappointment there. Um, he just and different managers have different styles, but I just he just sometimes doesn't come across as someone who's going to go into that dressing room and really sort it out. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and when you're, when you're in a dog fight, which we're slowly getting dragged into now, 
Um, I think you need someone like that, and I can't really see him motivating players. I, I, I really hope I'm wrong. Um, yeah. But uh, I think if we will, if I think if we're going to stay up this year, it's oh, I can't believe I'm going to say this. It's not going to be with Danny Schofield probably. Well, one of my questions I was going to save to the end, but it kind of ties in quite nicely to what you're saying there. Um, so you do, do you think then that you're going to be down the wrong end of the table for the majority of the season? Mm, possibly, I do. Yeah, I think I do. Uh, the look, these this helic coming in could really help us out of the back because one thing we were really good at last year was um, keeping clean sheets, not not conceding more than one. I think this year it seems to be two two or more a game. Um so yeah, I think we'll be down there. It's definitely gonna be a bottom half finish for us this year. Um but we need to get some sort of run going sooner rather than later. Do you know what I mean? You don't yeah. you, know, you don't want because there's already a gap where we win a game, we're still in the bottom three. We need to we need to pick up a couple, go on and like a two or three game winning run or something, just just to catch up, keep keep up with everyone else um but i do think bottom half this year mate yeah all right okay uh and in terms of sort of like style of play is there much difference to the way you were playing last season or is it kind of even trying to repeat the same tricks yeah no, it's not really do you know what i i found what which i've i've actually do you know what i've actually enjoyed watching the football more this year it might be not gelling as much but Corbram was quite boring Okay. But do you know what I I I particularly don't I'm not one of those who wants to be I appreciate if you're winning one nil and you've done the done it tactically, do you know what I mean? Football's football for me. If you're winning, that's good. Um but I I've sat through these games and been a paid a bit more attention, if you know what I mean, and, and not been I mean, I guess we haven't won, but <laughs> the problem was with Corberan, you went one nil up and it was like for then eighty minutes. 70 minutes you just was on the edge of your seat so much you weren't you weren't as involved it was it's really weird you know that mm. I think if Danny Schofield's type of play did come good the fans would get more involved you'd get a good atmosphere and stuff it's a lot more direct a lot more quick um there's a lot more kind of long balls up to the, the top lads not in the kind of hoofball kind of way but you know what I mean direct to their feet yeah. and then play from there it I think the problem is we there's a gap in the middle every time. This, this is the midfield. If we're playing that long ball, we always seem to then have no one else up there with it. So it's it's either a formation issue or something like that that needs changing if he wants it to be successful. But um, yeah, we'll we'll see how it goes. <laughs> okay. And uh, last question before we let you go. The, is there a player that you can pick out from your side that will cause QPR real problems this weekend and be crucial for you guys picking up some points? Yeah, good. Um, well, Tino Andrewin on loan from Chelsea um, has almost been one of the only bright sparks. If he's going to cause problems up top, um, big lad keeps it close to his feet and and he doesn't mind having a go, which. I think every fan loves seeing someone who will just run at people. Mm. I'm, I was quite surprised we got him back, to be fair. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, I think if anyone's going to cause us problems that end, it's him. And then obviously Lee Nichols, just different class goalkeeper. Um, he's he's kept the score <laughs> score down basically this season for us. So 
he just needs a bit of help in front of him because there's so many. He may he does so much, and he can only ask so much of a goalkeeper. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, we will. That they're the two that I think you you've got to look out for. If they if they have a good game, um, we might cause you some problems potentially. <laughs> uh, well, um, thanks for painting that picture for us. Admittedly, a pretty. Uh, I don't want to say bleak <laughs> one at this point, but it doesn't. It's uh, yeah. Thank you very much for coming on and uh, giving us a bit of insight. No worries, mate. Well, thanks. Uh, many thanks to Tom uh, from the Andy Takes That Chance Pod to uh, giving us all that information on Huddersfield. And painting a kind of bleak picture, wasn't it, Dan? Yeah, um, I think they're at the time of recording they're in the bottom three. Um, it, it it doesn't sound good. Obviously, they've lost two of their best players, lost their manager, um, and from the few games that I've seen of them so far, it doesn't look as as positive as as last year. But um, yeah, hopefully, well, I say hopefully, um, once once we've beaten them. Um, they can be back on the up. Well, I did kind of joke of him. Uh, I can't remember whether it made it into the po- podcast recording or not, or whether it's going on the preview that I recorded for them. But, you know, like after speaking to Alad last week, uh, we, you know, heard a lot of positive things that could have, you know, really resulted in a good game for QPR. And then, uh, well, you know, from the descriptions that you've had from in this podcast so far, you know for a fact that it didn't turn out to be a good game. So anything can happen in sport. Anything can happen in football. More importantly, though, anything can happen when QPR are involved because, you know, they just love to tear at your heartstrings a little bit. Um, so what, you know, from the Huddersfield point of view, what are we expecting are we hoping for another sort of dominant performance from us you know is it the same sort of blueprint go out them really early doors and hope we're three nil up after 20 minutes um i think i mean that, that that will suit the way that we play at home pretty well you would think if they're a team that's sort of a little low on confidence perhaps a little at the point where the manager's under threat being able to really hit them hard um early on i like that we did that against hull and i'm hoping that we do that against them um, my worry, well, one of my worries is Jack Radoni, um, mainly because one of my friends uh, is an AFC Wimbledon fan, and they've kind of got uh, AFC Wimbledon fans the same relationship with Jack Radoni that we do with Aberaese, where he was just this sort of incredible talent that they had. They think he can rise to the very top, and he's not, from the sound of uh, of that chat there, um, not shied away from from that, I suppose. But he's not actually gotten himself involved in that many goals, only the one assist, and in quite a late. Um, consolation so I think he could hurt us and I think it uh, I don't know 100% the type of player he is but I've kind of got images of how Josh Bowler always seems to play when he comes to the Loftus Road Yeah I think we're all kind of familiar with the name um, from many suggestions from certain people Um, but yeah I mean I guess like when someone comes with that sort of like uh, burgeoning reputation that there's always going to be you know, we're going to be looking at him, I guess. Um, we'll move this and merge this sort of conversation into what we can sort of look at Millwall as well, because, you know, we've had most of the Huddersfield point of view covered. In terms of what we will do team selection wise, 
are we are we expecting changes? Could we see in these two games the first start for Liam Balligan? I know he got minutes at the weekend, didn't he? Um, you know, as well the Tim loan signing coming through. Um, we're not quite sure how far off Amos and uh, Richards. I keep on thinking it's Roberts every single time. It's that's going to be really annoying. Um, but yeah, we don't know sort of how far off they are in terms of getting back to match fitness. But for the time being, with the options we've got, it's going to be a case of rotating in one of these games, surely. Dan, yeah, I think this. I think um, one of the midfielders might be rotated uh, in one of the games. I think um, Tim, just from his cameo. Um, he looks a, a favourite of Bills. He might be knocking on the door for for one of the positions. I mean, Dazelle probably is the the likely um person who's going to probably suffer from it. But um, that seems a likely change. But I don't know. Balogun, it's very early days of him. I haven't seen much. Um, I think if if anyone comes out, I think it's quite clear that it'll be dumb rather than Dicky. Um. And I think that certainly will be the case when Clark Sorter comes back. I think at the Stoke game, I, th- uh, I'm, I think I read um, that's when he's back. Um, but I think he might try and keep the the core of it the same, apart from maybe the few a few midfielders. Yeah, I'd be only shocked if Field got taken out for one of these games and didn't start. I expect him to start both games. I wouldn't be so shocked if, say, they sort of played Dazelle in one and and didn't play him in the other. And similarly with Johansson, with him being of the uh, one of our older players in the squad, trying to sort of nurse him into full fitness. I guess now with the signing that we've made, we have got a central midfielder onto the, on the bench as well now, rather than... Because I think in the part in the previous games, we've been taking players off, like trying to play Adoma slightly more central, pulling chair and Willock out of their sort of more natural positions and playing them as a more sort of central midfielder at times as once the substitutes have been made. So, you know, it means that we can kind of keep the shape the same. We don't have to be trying anything too funky with our formations uh, once substitutes are made. And, you know, you can rotate in game because I'm sure that regardless of who might, and it's a might at this point, um, get rotated in these next couple of games, they will probably come on at some point throughout that fixture. What can we expect then from Millwall? Another team that, you know, if you look at their results recently, not necessarily anything sort of jumping out at you there saying that they're some, you know, really scary team to play against. But then you look at the table and they're only one point behind us. Yeah, I think I think in terms of a Millwall side under Rao, I think, you know, what you're going to get is quite um, rigid in the way they play. Quite, um, not defence first, but they're, they're structurally good. Um, funny enough, I've I've really liked their recruitment this uh, this this window. Um, obviously, the elephant in the room was keeping McNamara on a long term deal, um, but they brought in the likes of Callum Styles, George Honeyman, um, two young um, players from Leeds, and I think they got that Zion Fleming from the uh, the Dutch league. So. Uh, I think it's been some good recruitment from them. I think the obvious thing always with Mill is where do the goals come from? Obviously, they got a phobia on a, I think a one-year deal uh, in the summer. But I mean, it's a phobia, Bradshaw, and I think Bennett up top. So I don't really see any three of those as 
prolific goal scorers at this level. So I think it's a case for them where where can they find the goals elsewhere as well as um, in the number nine position. Absolutely. You look at those strikers and you think those are the strikers that sort of won't score many goals come the end of the season, but you can guarantee one of them will score against QPR. Um, ben, how likely is it that we see a Danny McNamara masterclass or at least him scoring a goal? It's guaranteed. Um, I mean, you know, we relatively regularly used to get bullied by uh, Jed Wallace when he played for uh, Millwall. Now that he's gone, someone has to step up to the plate. Um, of course, it's going to be the guy that QPR seemed relatively desperate to sign. Although I, might, I must admit, we were not as desperate to sign him as all the Millwall fans on Twitter seem to think. Um, but uh, I suppose that's another conversation. No, he's going to absolutely destroy us. Yeah, I would personally, you know, just for this one game, support a move to put Ethan Laird just up against him. Even though I know he's a right back, just move him onto the left, see what happens. You know, just have well, him. Yeah, it's a fair point as well because I mean Kenneth Powell I think has been generally improving as he's gone. I thought he was very, very good against Hull City, but there's still a few little worries for me there. So it'll be an interesting. Uh, yeah, I think battle. It, I guess my 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 sort of suggestion there is more just from uh, sort of like trying to take the piss, but Powell's certainly improving, and uh, you know we're seeing more positive signs from him. So you know. Oh, don't get me this, wrong. I'm, this is two you know, games I'm, away as well. Like, there's a lot of lot of time. There's a, this is why I never like sort of previewing the Tuesday night fixtures because we always have to do them so early, and there's a lot of context that you miss out on. So you know, there's, there's suspensions, injuries, and whatnot, sort of like in between now and then that could potentially happen. Um, and you know, you could turn up at Millwall and really see a really sort of rogue selection as well. Sort of. No, see. don't say that. That not after I'm, I've bought a ticket. Well, you know, this is what you get when you try and force people to go to Millwall with you, Dan. Um, but yeah, like you know, I think we're slowly improving, and some hopefully last Saturday is just going to be a little blip in the uh, system. Um, I think the only other thing I heard about Millwall was that before beating Cardiff in their most recent game, they'd gone four games without a win, and that kind of is the point I was making earlier about their results not not looking so remarkable especially recently they've not looked sort of incredible but I guess they had a pretty sort of decent start to the season and we're so early in as well that not that it doesn't matter but it's sort of like the the table doesn't really sort of tell the true story just yet so anything else that you guys wanted to mention about Millwall well, I just think your point on the on the QPR team improving I think it's just one that I want to echo really like if you if you scrub the Swansea game uh, from from the memory you're seeing a team that is almost getting better game by game. Um, and Swansea clearly knew exactly what they were doing in limiting us. But you're seeing Ethan Laird, you know, he was he was not unfit to start when he came along, but the first game he started, he maybe maybe tied out a bit quick a bit quickly. But he's he's looking absolutely incredible. Penneth Paller wasn't too impressed with to begin with, and again, he's been improving um that chair and willet partnership has been looking absolutely unreal. And I really think you're seeing Michael Beale, Mick Beale kind of figure out exactly how he's going to work with this team. You look back at the um, the first starting 11, by the way, and I know it was of the season. I know it was limited by um, sort of injuries and, and things like that. But you had um, Shadipo starting. You had George Thomas, who I know we love getting loads of minutes in that game. It was a completely different concept, idea in a lot of ways. Um, so... You know, I'm I'm kind of still all aboard and, and still really optimistic against my better instincts. 
Yep, uh, point well made. Dan, any other sort of business to talk about in regards to Millwall? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think it'll be a it'll be a tight game between both sides. Um, obviously, like I said before, Rowett's quite a pragmatic coach. I think McBill is quite similar, despite the amount of goals he's probably scored. Um, so I, I can see it quite, being quite a cagey affair between the two uh, two teams, and probably little in it between the scoreline. Okay, so uh, that means we have reached the end of this week's podcast, and it well. One more thing to do is, of course, do our shameless plugs, which we we all love each week. Dan, you've got a new article out. Care to elaborate? Yeah, basically, it was. Um, well, it's probably not really relevant anymore. But um, I had a quick look at the uh, the, the defeat to Swansea, kind of touching on um, their kind of shape out of possession, how we kind of reacted to that, um, and then the obvious. Um, the elephant in the room about our high line and kind of how we can prevent it going forward. So that's basically what the piece is about. And even less relevant now, I've got a brief sort of running through of how our transfer window panned out. That's available on our generation net. You can find the link to that on the, our generation Twitter page and on my Twitter page as well. Uh, and coming up this weekend, of course, we have the next installment in the, our generation program, column calendar and that is by none other than ben which is very convenient because he's on the podcast this week so ben do you want to just briefly explain what the fans could potentially read in the program this week yeah so uh usually i i you know write that at some point in the evening uh during the week or on the weekend uh, this one was written on the transport for wales train back to cardiff uh, from the swansea game on my phone in my notes app um so it was a an as live reaction to the game um and I mean, similar-ish sentiments to what I've said on the podcast, but I sort of dive into it a little bit more and uh, have a chat through all of that. So yeah, give that a read if you fancy. Yep. So uh, that is all available to find either uh, sort of on Dan's Substack on the Our Generation Twitter page, or of course from any of the fantastic vendors around Loftus Road this Saturday. With that, that means that the podcast is complete for this week. So uh, thank you very much to Ben and for Dan coming on and uh, going through everything with me. Um, we'll be, of course, back next week. And until next time, come on, you arse.